Which comes first, the confidence or the accomplishments? Andy Rodriguez might have an answer for that. Good morning to you. Good Wednesday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Pirates. It comes your way bright and early every weekday if you're into football and or hockey. I also offer daily shots of Steelers and Penguins that I hope you'll take the time to check out. Same place you found this. The club came away empty-handed from a couple of split squad games yesterday, losing to the Orioles 7-6 to in Bradenton and tying the Twins down at Minnesota's complex in Fort Myers 2-2. Also, and related, who cares? What matters out of any of these things is that the key players, meaning the ones who are coming north, as well as those who are heading back to the minors, but really matter toward the franchise's future, farewell. That's it. That's really it. And in Andy Rodriguez's case, everything that he achieves, whether it's in Altoona, Indianapolis, eventually Pittsburgh, it feels like a foregone conclusion. Not just for those of us who see him on a fairly regular basis, but for him, this is an exuberant as well as confident young man. He has a joy about him that's difficult to describe, but you're going to have to trust me that if you were around the kid for, oh, 90 seconds or so, you'd see what I mean. Uh, the energy the smile is infectious. I know you hear that term a lot in sports writing land, and you can get to the point where you kind of roll your eyes at it. This kid is all of that, but then multiply it many times over. He's different. And unlike, say, in the case of Cole Tucker, not to be mean here, I love the kid, speaking of all the right things. His talent, Rodriguez's talent, I believe, is the chicken before the egg or the egg before the chicken, depending on which of those theorems you happen to subscribe to. He knows he's good and he knows he's going to continue to be good at every level. Because there's yet to be a challenge in this young man's career, and he's only 22 years old, that he hasn't just blown away. Not checked the box, not eh, he's now gotten a little bit better at hitting change-ups or this and that on the way up the ladder. He blows these things away. He shows up like with a flamethrower, just leveling everything in sight to the ground. That's how he got to be the team's own, meaning internally selected, minor league player of the year in 2022. But I always feel this is more significant. Externally, the analysts that come in and look at the numbers and do all the comparison points and everything else, he rocketed to the top of this team's prospect lists, meaning Baseball America picks the Pirates' top 10 uh, MLB Pipeline picks the Pirates top 10. They all have different versions, top 20, top 30, whatever else it is. Just like that to number one. And that's in a system that's got a really 
high, an unusually high number of number one overall, number two overall, number four overall, like Termont Johnson from last year, draft picks. And he just rocketed past them. And this was someone who you might recall was acquired as part of that uh, David Bednar trade, the three-team trade involving the Padres and the Mets. And he was the piece that came from the Mets and nobody even really talked about him. And all he's done is perform very, very well behind the plate, perform very well everywhere that he's been put in the field, just in case the catching thing ends up not being optimal for the organization or even for the player. And he's been unbelievable at the plate. One of the premier offensive performers in the minors, anybody's minors, last year. And then he comes into this spring and he does so having been informed, whether it was directly or indirectly, but Derek Shelton told reporters in San Diego at the winter meetings back in December that neither Andy nor Henry Davis, the other top catching prospect, were going to make the team. Just flat out stated it. I thought that was a little odd, but maybe it was just to keep it from becoming a constant issue as the Pirates certainly had to know it would be be because they knew just like he knew that he'd show up in Bradenton and hit. And he did. Before being reassigned to minor league camp, which happened after the split squad games, Andy went two for two in his game, and he ended up his Grapefruit League season going seven for 17 with three doubles. That's a 412 batting average a 1,000 OPS, and he's actually capable of way more than that. The power was was there. It, it always is with him. All of this is. He had three doubles. Uh, there's just something about him. He, we, we talk way too much in all sports about can't miss this, can't miss that. Out of everyone in the Pirates system, whether it's a hitter, pitcher, regardless of their draft pedigree, uh, even looking ahead to the next draft where the Pirates again are going to pick 1-1 and Dylan Cruz out of LSU is starting to make that look like the easiest pick of all time because all he does is crush the ball. Andy is the one who I look at and I listen to and I observe and I say to myself, yeah, he's... He's coming to Pittsburgh, and he's going to make an impact, and he's going to do it very soon. That much, I believe. And I could go back and forth, and I'm sure a lot of you would like to do this as well, as to why he isn't coming up already. We already know the answer to that. The Pirates are never going to do that. They're never going to break Super 2. They feel that's an intrinsic part of their long-term building, that they can make sure that guys like that stay affordable, that they maintain their advantages when it comes to negotiating with players of that caliber and blah, 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 blah. He could also probably benefit a little bit. He has moved through the minors in a hurry. Being down there for a couple of months, which is what this process takes, won't hurt him. I know not everybody wants to hear that, and I know I've taken that stance differently in the past, but it's been usually with guys who've been in the minors for a long time. He really hasn't. The last thing I think you'd want to see with Andy is some kind of, you know, 
ugly backwards step if he were to come up right away and just struggle instantly? Yeah, who am I kidding? He wouldn't do that. When we come back, J1Q. This portion of Daily Shot of Pirates is brought to you by our friends at North Shore Tavern that's directly across Federal Street from PNC Park. It's home of Steak on a Stone, an eating experience, underscoring the word experience. The steak is brought to you partially cooked on an 800-degree stone, and you do the rest. It's a ton of fun, it's a great meal, and it's a baseball atmosphere like no other in Pittsburgh. North Shore Tavern, right across Federal Street from PNC Park. Today's J1Q comes from Christopher, who says, I expect O'Neill Cruz to hit 30 to 35 homers. I'd love to see him cut down the strikeouts. And yes, hit for average. How does his defense look, though? Well, he is who he is at the shortstop position. And I believe that over the course of time that Pittsburgh fans will come to appreciate Cruz's defense maybe more than people will on the outside. And I say that not only because of the unicorn effect. As soon as he runs onto a major league infield, especially the middle infield, you're going to see, hear, and read constantly from the outside. Whoa, look at that. And every time he does something, whether it's good or it's bad, it's going to be associated with that unicorn component. Know what I mean? Every error is going to have something to do with the fact that he's 6'7", even if it doesn't. Whereas I feel like people who watch this team regularly, who watch this player regularly, will come to understand two things. One, there are legit challenges toward becoming efficient uh, when you have that size. That's not something that he runs from. That's not something that the Pirates instructors run from. So when you see him do that awkward shuffle step or that hesitation before throwing the ball up into the stands, you got to understand that, you know, some 5'8 dude isn't going to have that issue. Two, and this probably answers your actual question the best. I asked Eric Shelton about this just a couple of weeks ago down there, and his response was that Cruz is becoming steadier, especially in that area uh regarding the slide step or the throwing motion over to first base because of some instructional things that the Pirates have gone over with him over the offseason, which actually, to be honest with you, I find kind of funny since when I was bringing it up during the season last year, they were insisting that there was nothing amiss with the slide step or anything else. But I digress. And three, and this is the big one for me, I have a feeling that if you're one of those people who's a regular at PNC Park and you watch this kid and you see the different things that he does on the diamond that other people just can't do, you're going to have an easier time in your head weighing those situations against those times when he lets you down. For example... If he ranges to his right, goes way into the hole, or even to his left, if you think about this, with those gigantic steps, 
and he gets under the ball, which is something they preach to him regularly. Make sure the glove is under the ball. It's actually something that Bill Mazeroski used to preach like crazy going back. And he makes that throw across to first, and it looks kind of routine. We're going to think that it's routine. At least you are if you're not watching him all the time. The same goes for those absurd throws. Do you remember the double play against the Brewers late last season that was turned by Rodolfo Castro and him? It was unbelievable. If I have to describe for you what it was, then you didn't see it, and I'm not going to be able to do a good job on it. But Castro's 360 to get the ball to Cruz at second, and then Cruz's absolute missile to get the ball to Michael Chavis at first was it was something that humans can't do, okay, other than this kid at the shortstop position. So you almost have to think about, all right, I value that play at, let's say five is the median number. I'm not going to get super mathematical on you here, but if you value that play as an eight or a nine or even a 10, I wouldn't hesitate to put it at a 10. Then every time he, you know, lays an egg, gets you a two or a three or something, remember that there also were eights, nines, and tens along the way. That's the fairest, fairest way to look at this kid defensively. I appreciate the question. I appreciate everyone listening to Daily Shot of Pirates. We'll do another one of these tomorrow. <laughs>